0: Romans chapter 12, one verse, verse 13. Would you stand to your feet, please? And we're gonna read. I'm gonna read this, you follow along. This is the inspired word of God. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Father, we believe this to be your word. God, we believe it to be Holy Spirit inspired and spoken. Uh, for our good, for our benefit, for the glory of God. And Father, we pray that you might help us to connect this with other passages in the Bible and to shape the way we think about money and giving and serving and our homes and friends and strangers. God, I ask you to make us hospitable for the benefit of the mission of God to the world. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you remember how Romans is set up, the first 11 chapters are very doctrinal. In other words, they're telling us, this is who God is, this is what God has done. And then chapter 12, we have a shift, okay? Chapter 12 is, if this is who God is, and this is what God's done, then how do I respond, right? And so Romans 12, 1 starts out like this. It says, "Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I appeal to you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And so the way Paul starts it out is he says, okay, man, if if we've been won over by the mercies of God, Like if if we have embraced the mercies of God, if we've embraced the fact that we were rebel sinners, we were transgressors, didn't want God, weren't really interested in God, we're only interested in ourselves and in our flesh and going the wrong way, we didn't want heaven, we didn't want anything to do with God, and God reached down in mercy. He reached down in mercy and he scooped us out of sin. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on our behalf, to live the life we couldn't live and to die a death on our behalf in order to redeem us out of sin, to save us out of sin and to join us to the one who is resurrection and life, Jesus Christ, to transform us and make us new on the inside. If, if you're a believer in that, okay, then basically you've said yes to the mercies of God. I believe who God is. I believe in his mercy, his incredible mercy to me and therefore Paul says by the mercies of God present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, what should you do if you believe in the mercies of God? I mean, you should offer your life over. Not not as a payback thing. Well, God, you gave me this, so I'm going to give you No, 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 no. You can't pay God back. Not as a begrudging, well, he's done so much for me. We ought to do a little for him, you know. No. If you believe the mercies of God, then you're like, man, I I trust him. I trust the God of the universe. I'm all in on who he is and who he's been for me. I'm convinced of his mercy. And therefore, I don't want my life anymore. I want his. I I, want to live for him. And so I'm handing my life as a living sacrifice. Now, the question would be asked, well, what does that look like? That's Romans 12, right? Right. So so in the last couple of weeks we've been looking at what does that look like? Well, verse nine, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, don't be slothful in zeal. Serve the Lord, be fervent in spirit, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in in prayer. Those are all ways, practical ways that we Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And then today, this morning, we have verse 13. So if we're in on the mercies of God, if we believe, man, I believe God has reached down in mercy and given me life. And his way is life. And he is life. If I believe that, then verse 13, I will contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, we see this happening in a real way in the early church, okay? It's kind of cool to not only see a command, but like, man, is anybody living this out? You bet they are. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we see uh, the church begin in Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit falls, all these people are saved, they gather together as a church, and here's what happens, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. Man, what's happening in the early church? Man, they're coming together and they're recognizing need in one another and they're sharing their possessions and they're coming there, they're sharing their homes and they're gathering together and encouraging and Man, God is exploding in growth, the early church. We go a couple chapters later. You like, hey, did this fizzle out? Not really. Okay, Acts chapter four, verse thirty-four. Here's an amazing statement. It says, There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Man, these are need meeting people. These are people who share their resources. This this, this is an example of, of biblical love coming out. Okay, it's an example of what Jesus did for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, here's one of the greatest verses on giving in the Bible. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. We all in agreement there? He was rich, right? Jesus owned the heavens and the earth. All things are his. He, 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 he's creator, he's sustainer, he's owner of all things. And it says in verse 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And the early church was absolutely in on that. Now... What we need to do, and I'm going to try to do this quickly. I did not do it as quick in the 830 service, and I regretted having only seven minutes for the last half of my sermon. So, trying to do better. And uh, So, what we need to do is lay a foundation. What is a foundation that we can look at? Not just this verse. You know, it just says the, 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 the phrase, contribute to the needs of the saints. Well, okay, what's a foundation that would make us generous people? Okay, so we've already talked about the first thing. Now, the first thing is, We've been given much, okay? We are the people who are recipients of the grace of God. God reached down to a bunch of folks who were headed straight to hell, and he plucked us out of that, and he put us in Christ, and he's given us the riches of the kingdom. He's made us heirs with Jesus of a new heavens and a new earth forever and ever, okay? So we are people who've received much. Number two, we are stewards, okay? What do you own? Nothing. Now, I know we don't believe that always in our hearts. We don't act like that anyway, okay? But Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, okay? The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.7, he says, What do I have that I haven't been given? You know what? What do I got? Money, resources, time, the, the mind I've been given, the body I've been given, the opportunities I've been given, the place I was born, the family I was born into, the, the, the resources, all of that. What did I do on my own? Zip." Paul says, nothing. Everything you have, you've been given, okay? Now, what that makes us is a steward, okay? A steward is someone who's in charge of what somebody else is. So it's all God's. Literally, it's all God's. And so I am, I am stewarding it for God. Now, because of that, you've got all these cool parables in the New Testament about being a steward. Let me see if you recognize this one. One of the most famous parable of the talents, right? So it's a parable about a master. I'm getting ready to go on a long trip so he calls three of his servants and he he gives one here I'm giving you 10 talents I'm giving you five and by the way talent is not like uh, you know hey I can dance or I can sing you know a talent is a, is a, a amount of money okay it's like gold. so uh, yeah, I didn't think I could dance, did you, huh? You saw just a little glimpse. It gets better as it goes on. You probably never see it, but anyway. So It's a matter of money, alright? So he gives one ten. He gives another five. He gives another one. And he says, alright, I want you to go and, and invest this and, and work hard. And, I, and when I come back, I'll expect a return. And so he goes off and he comes back. And when he comes back, the guy who has ten, he's he's worked really hard. He's invested what the master gave him. He presents him twenty, you know? Here, you gave me ten. Here's the ten you gave me. Here's ten more. The master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful a little. Enter into the joy of, of the rest of the master, and he gets says the same thing to the guy who had five, and he gets five more. Another guy had one, he's like, You know what? I don't think much of you. You're kind of a crooked guy, you're kind of, you know, bad. I, I never liked you anyway. I didn't trust you. I was kind of afraid of you. So I just went and dug a hole, put mine in there. Here, here's what you have back. Man, it did not go well for that guy, right? You know why? Because that guy didn't take care of what the master had given him. Okay? And so what we understand as New Testament believers is we are stewards and we are responsible. Like right now, the master's still away. We can do whatever we want, right? I spend it all on me. I really can. Like every dollar of it, I can just, on me, my comfort, my excitement, my adventure, lots of french fries, whatever I want, right? But someday, the master's coming back. And there will be an accountability. So we understand that as New Testament Christians, there's going to be accountability. I mean, I've been given a lot, and there's going to be an accountability for that. Okay, so, so we've been given much. Number two, we're stewards. Number three, we understand from the scriptures that what we do with what we've been given in this life has a real impact on the life to come. Reading First Timothy with some guys yesterday out in the oil field. And uh, we, we came across this verse, First Timothy 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. Listen, man. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It's the same word, share. And then here's the kicker. Thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What you do with God, with what God's given you now, is is affecting what's coming for you in the future. If you ever read the Gospel of Luke, Luke is strong on this principle. Um, many of many of the verses that we we build this theology of giving are in Luke. Luke twelve thirty three. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. There it is. Give to the needy. Provide yourself, so if you saw your brother giving the here's what you're doing. You're providing yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Money bags that don't grow old in the heavens. You see that? What you with, with what God's given you here affects there. Last one, this is my favorite. I, I wish we had time, but we do not because I'm, I'm going to be skimming close anyway. But, but Luke 16 is one of the most interesting parables in the Bible. So the dishonest manager. Let me just read you the last part of it, okay? Um, I wish we had time to do it all, but we just don't. So verse nine, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Okay, unrighteous wealth is what you got in your wallet, okay? So cash, uh, debit card, Uh, Credit card, uh, vehicles, house, um, dog, bicycle. Okay, that's all, right? That's unrighteous wealth, okay? So make friends. In other words, build relationships Okay, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, ooh, that's interesting. It will, won't it? This will be empty at some point, right? The car will break down. They'll smash it, junk it. The house will go to somebody else. All those improvements you made, somebody will think it's hideous and they'll tear it all out and do something different. That's gonna happen. It don't I mean, count on it, it's coming. It will fail. Okay, then what? Then what? Ready? When it fails, they okay, those those people you invested in may receive you into the eternal dwellings. I'm telling you, this is a really cool parable. Now you're like, I don't think he's talking about money. I have a different interpretation. Well, just hang with me then, okay? Verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. In other words, if you don't take care of what God's given you, if He's given you all kinds of opportunities and finances and house and cars, and you haven't taken care of that for the kingdom, why in the world, in the new heavens and the new earth, would He entrust anything to you? That's what that just said. If then you've been, not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what was another's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can do, serve two masters who either will hate the one or love the other. And he really gets to the heart of the matter here. He'll be devoted to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God or money. So you got to pick who you're going to serve. Where's your treasure going to be? So, we've been given much. We're stewards. We're to use this World's opportunities to invest in the coming kingdom, okay? And then, then here's here's a good one. We're to work hard in order to have something to give. Now, you are not going to hear this on television, okay? Uh, th- here's the American idea. You ought to work hard, okay? The American, the American, we, really, I've been all over the world, and, and America has this down, okay? There's a lot of people around the world that don't work as hard as Americans do, okay? Uh, I, in my opinion. So we, we've got this down. We've got to work hard down, like busted out. 80 hours a week, be a producer. We got that down. But the world tells us this. The American dream is this. Work hard so that you can have more to make your life better. That's not what the Bible says. Verse 28, okay, this is in the whole context of put off the old man, put on the new man. And verse 28 says, let the thief, so if before you were a taker, uh, dishonest, okay, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Okay, so we've got that right. Let him labor. Doing honest work. So do a good job. Do it honestly with his own hands. Work hard so that he may have something to share. That's interesting, isn't it? With anyone in need. That's that's why you ought to work hard. That, That is contrary to the American dream. Working hard to accumulate so that you have something to share. We just don't usually think that way. Okay, so... Those are our foundational principles. There's more, but those are the ones we're going to deal with, okay? So we've been given much. We're stewards. We're to use this opportunity for the coming kingdom investment. Um, We're to work hard in order that we have something to give. Now, here's the question that always comes up. I hardly ever deal with it. I decided I'm going to today, okay? I thought we had such a short verse. I thought, I'll deal with that today, but it turned out to be a long sermon. So um, how much? How much? I mean, I always ask. Okay, here's the answer to how much, okay? I, I, I think this is the best way to answer that. It's 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says this. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, how much should you give? Well, that should be a matter between you and the Lord in which you prayerfully consider what God has done, what God has given, your opportunities, and then you should be able to give in a joyful, cheerful, can't wait, excited way. That's God's plan for New Testament giving. Okay? Now, many of you are going to say, well, what about tithe, Pastor? You didn't mention You're supposed to mention tithe, Pastor. Man, de- deacons gave you one job, and you fail, you know. Um, what about that? Well, let me, let me say this. If, if that helps you to get started, Okay, that helps you get started, have a baseline, 10%. That's what I'm going to try to hit. I think that's fine. I actually think the New Testament to some degree reinforces that in Matthew 23, 23, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, you've tithed, you know, everything, even the pickles in your garden you tithe, that's awesome. But you shouldn't have neglected the weightier things of the law, justice, and mercy. And so I think Jesus, in a kind of backhanded way, um, does affirm that. Okay, but the problem with tithing is... Is that if you see it as your minimum monthly payment, you know, or your minimum weekly payment, you've missed the boat. Okay? If if it's like, all right, we got the electric bill, we got the credit card bill, we got the car vehicle payment, and then we got we got our tithe. Okay, that that is missing the point. And 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 really where the tithe goes astray is when God starts prospering us. Okay. So the the more you have, the less it makes sense to tithe. Okay. Now the I, as I'm, I'm saying, you ought to give more. Actually, okay. So let's let's walk through this. Okay, so you, you're newly married, you're in college, and uh, you and your sweetie are going to a little church, and you're like, you know what, we need to tithe, and so you're making five hundred dollars a month, and so you decide, man, we're gonna take a face step, we're gonna give fifty dollars. You know, we're gonna ten percent, we give fifty dollars. So you give $50 to the Lord's work, and you're living on $450. That is pretty impressive, right? I mean, that's pretty impressive to live on $450. I mean, you're skimming it tight, all right, uh, if you can handle that, okay? Let's say you graduate from t- college, get your g- degree, and uh, you get great job, engineer somewhere, whatever. Great job, man. Right off the bat, you're making fifty thousand a year. Let's see. No, I, I try to make these numbers easy. Five thousand a year, uh, five thousand a month. So instead of five hundred a month, you're making five thousand a month. So that'd be what would that be sixty thousand a year? So making five thousand a month. And now if you stay with your tithe, you're now you're man, you are tithing. You're giving the Lord your entire income when you're in college, right? Now you're giving five hundred dollars a month, but actually, you're but now you're living on four thousand five hundred. You were living on 450, now you're living on 4,500. Okay, let's let's expand that even further. Now, this may not happen, okay? Actually, the way the oil field is, it's probably not happening at all right now, but three years ago, this would have made sense to maybe some people. Let's say the Lord prospers you, and you're making 10,000 a month. You're making 120,000 a year. Let's say you keep tithing. Well, now you're... Some of you are going, wow. <laughs> now, now you're giving a thousand a month. A thousand a month? You're giving twice your your entire income is when you're in college. But you're also living on nine thousand a month. Are you, are you seeing where the tithe begins to break down? You know, where that principle, which I, I think, I think it's I think that's why the New Testament gives us examples like 2 Corinthians 8. Okay, here's here's the stuff the New Testament gives us. Okay, so 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 uh 2. For in a severe. Test of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. You're like, how did that equal up, you know? Severe affliction, uh, abundance of joy, extreme poverty, and that overflows in extreme generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay? What's the most famous passage in the New Testament about giving? You know it, right? Widow. Nobody yelled it out. Widows might, right? So, Luke twenty-one. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, "Truly, I tell you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance." That's key. Out of their abundance. That's that's where the tie starts breaking down. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Why does Jesus recognize that lady? Why? She's not giving out of abundance. She's, she's, what's she living on? Faith, <laughs> All right? She gave her last two coins. What's she living on? Faith alone, right? That, that's what Jesus commends. So, you know, think about this. I was trying to think of an illustration. I think I failed. Let me throw this one out to you. So, so we're trying to illustrate why, why the tithe doesn't work as, as you make more and more money. So, I was trying to think of an illustration. The only one I could think of was maybe food, Okay. So, so let's say you got one of these uh, guys in India that we sponsor, and you know he's he got a menial job picking rice in the fields, and let's say he makes a few rupees a day, just enough where if he spends his his check, you probably didn't get a check. If he spends his rupees, he can he can buy twelve hundred calories of food a day. Okay. So what happens if some rich motel guy finds him in the field, sees his potential? Puts him in a great opportunity, builds his way up. Now he's making hundreds of thousands of rupees a day. Let's say now he's got the capacity to literally spend his rupees and buy 10,000 calories of food a day. Now let me ask you a simple question. Should he eat all those? I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, someone said yeah. If he does... He will be Dr. Kirkendall's best friend. <laughs> no, he shouldn't. Should he? He sh- he should probably even though his his opportunity has increased, he should probably go ahead and limit himself to, you know, 2500 or, you know, hey, one a couple times a week. Let's go ahead and knock it up to 3500, eat a blizzard, you know, just just to enjoy life a little. But he, but he probably shouldn't. It's kind of the same principle. Okay? Um, Man, here's a kicker. Read this one yesterday with some guys. 1 Timothy 6. Are you ready? Now, there's great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. The verse I'm about to read, I, I do not claim to have arrived here, okay? But, but I believe it, and I'm, I'm trying. You ready? Verse 8. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. I think actually there was a time in my life, about 20 years old, living in government housing, going to school full-time. Full I think there was a time where I probably was content with food and clothing. But you know what happens? With all of this as that, income climbs, all of a sudden discontent. It doesn't make sense, folks. It really doesn't, but discontent creeps in. OK? What are, what are some other factors to consider in your giving? And again, this is why the 10% thing just breaks down a little bit. So let's say, let's take the guy, let's take the $5,000 a month income, okay? I know, I'm just, it's just round numbers that are easy, okay? So that, let's say that you have a single guy, 26 years old, making $5,000 a month. Okay, is his tithe the same as our St. Louis team? Didn't you guys tell, tell me that there was a, a neat family that came to the park, had 11 kids, right? They're all at home, 11 kids, you know, living in, in poverty, St. Louis. Okay, let's say that guy, I don't know if he did, but let's just say he makes 5000 a month. Is he the same as the single 26-year-old making 5000 a month? No, they're not, you know? You're saying, well, see, here's what the American says. The American says, well, by golly, he can do whatever he wants with this money. You know, the other guy shouldn't have 11 kids, you know. But that's not the way the Bible looks at that. Not the way it looked at the widow. Okay? So they're not, they don't have the same opportunity, do they? Because the guy with 11 kids, he's got 13 in his family. When he goes, okay, so they both go to McDonald's, right? The single 26-year-old making $5,000 How much did he spend at McDonald's? Six fifty, dollars Right? He gets one of the meals, okay? The, the guy with 13 in his family, 11 kids, how much does he spend? He's got to pull out the credit card, doesn't he? You know, 65 or so, right? So, you should purpose in your heart between you and the Lord to give. Now, how are we going to give generously? Here's a couple things real quick. You can't spend it all. I believe the American church is plagued with people who are genuinely born again. Like God has their heart. They are so in awe of the mercies of God and they love Jesus and they see need. When 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 the when the Guatemala missionary comes and talks about the health post where kids are dying in diarrhea in the Guatemala mountains, I believe their heart is pulled and tugged. You know, when 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 they when they their neighbor lost his job on the rig and hadn't had a job in a year. And they, their heart goes out in compassion. But here's the plague of the American church. They cannot give because they're in debt. Like they've, they've structured their life where however much money they make, they spend all of that and then go ahead and get the card out and spend about $150 more every month. That is the American experience. That kills giving. And it's not, it's not because we don't want to, but it's because we can't. So we need to learn this, 1 Timothy 6, this contentment. That's the only way you arrive at these great stories. George Mueller gives away 92% of his income, lives on 8%. By the way, when I, when I say guys like that, you know, that lived long ago, I think we're all like, well, there aren't any of those today. There are those people today. I know somebody. I know a family. I th- I may know a couple, but I've not had the courage to ask. I've only had the courage to ask one, okay? But I know I know at least one family because I, I just, in a moment of kind of spontaneity, I have those sometimes where after the question comes out, I'm like, you probably shouldn't have done that, you know? But I, I ask, you know? I don't know what anybody gives, but I I, I just, I, I know this family, and, and I project it in my mind. I kind of think I had a good guess at what they made. And, and then I kind of had a good guess of what they spent just by looking at their life. And so I asked them one day, I'd say, hey, if you don't mind, and you don't have to tell me, and you know, but how much of your income do you live on and how much do you give away? And they, they live on about 30% of their income, and they give the rest away. That's real life people. Like, I shook their hand. That's cool. Can everybody do that? Probably not. That family in East St. Louis with 11 kids? unless they're going to starve the little critters they probably can't do that you know but but i mean like that does happen right god can do that and so verse 13 contribute to the needs of the saints now here's a here's a question you're going to ask i bet as we look at this contribute to the needs of the saints who are the saints those are believers okay how do we know which needs to meet okay well let's 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 talk about that so titus is is kind of a verse i like about that cuz Titus three fourteen says, let, let our people, the church, learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So, again, what, what is an urgent need? How do we know that? Well, first of all, please don't surround yourself with people that don't have needs, financial needs. I think that's one of the mistakes that we can make is we can only look for friends and a circle. I mean, it's really possible in our day and age to only run with people that don't have any financial needs. Like, like that's possible to do. I don't think that's right. Uh, now, everybody has needs, right? Like, the guy that's got all kinds of money, he still has a need for the gospel. He Just like everybody else, he still has a need for christ in relationships. He still has a need for wisdom. He still has a need for, you know, someone to encourage him in his marriage. I'm not saying people reach people have needs, but I am saying I don't think it's healthy and I don't think it's biblical to only surround yourself with people that don't have financial need. And so I think we should be able to see those needs. And then as we see those needs, here's what I believe we should ask. First question, is this emergency relief or is this the consequences of unwise living? Okay, that makes a difference right away. Is this emergency relief? Is this the consequence of unwise living? Now, what some of you are gonna do is you're gonna jump to the next step, and I did not say this, and you're gonna jump to the step that says, if it's unwise living, then I'm not gonna help them. I don't do that. Let me tell you why you shouldn't do that. If you only help people who are hardworking, good decision makers, unless something drastically happens in our country, you're not going to help very many people at all your whole life. Okay? You know why? Because people that are hard workers and good decision makers many times aren't in need. You know, they just aren't. Even in tragedies. I mean, how many people did we know who went through the Woodward tornado, got their house blown away, but they were—they'd been hardworking, they'd been good decision makers, they had insurance, and you know they came away built a better house, you know, than before. You know, went ahead and put it in the pool while they were at it, you know. I mean, so even in our day and age, sometimes you know that that you're not—it's not, not going to help people. And, and so instead, think of it this way: it just changes things, and then you begin to ask more questions. What's really good for their soul? So, so how can I help in a way? That's good for their soul. How can I help in a way that makes a maximum impact? Man, that's, every week we're, we're meeting with 10, 15 people a week on, on just looking at their finances, looking at their, their life situation, see if the church can help them. And one of, the, one of the things we do is how can we make a maximum impact here? Not, not a little impact. How can we really help your life? How can we help in a way that doesn't create lifelong dependency? We don't want to do that. We don't want to help you in a way that just you know, keeps you in the spot you're at forever. No, we want, you, we want you to go forward. How can we help in a way that includes friendship and spiritual investment and wise habit? I mean, how can we not just give money, but how can we actually be a part of your life and help you go forward? So those are all questions that have to be asked when we are obeying the command to contribute to the needs of the saints. Okay? Part two. This is unfortunate, isn't it? Okay, part two, which is really just as important and long, but I'm not going to have time. Seek to show hospitality. Seek to show... Okay, now, what is hospitality? Literally, in the Greek, it is kindness to strangers. Okay, here's what John Piper says. He says, hospitality is the willingness to welcome people into your home or apartment who don't ordinarily belong there, okay? So whenever your wife comes home, it's not really hospitality when you, you know, offer her a drink, okay? You know, or, or yeah. I mean, like, she belongs there, you know? I mean, I don't. I obeyed hospitality. I let the kids in, you know? I mean, that's not really hospitality. It's people who don't belong there, okay? And literally, it's, it's strangers. Let me, let me tell you my, my best experience ever of hospitality. So uh, uh, we're on a mission trip. As David and I were flying to India, we stopped in Romania to, to meet a guy named Johnny. He's one of our mission partners. We're going to set him up, uh, as sponsoring him as from Lincoln Avenue. And so we, this guy picks us up in the airport. Danny is his name. We don't know him. He never, never met us. We never met him. His wife's name's Lavi. They got two kids, like 14 and 12. Maybe they're like 13, 11 when we were there. Anyway, Danny picks us up. We meet him. We're kind of, you know, trying through the language barrier to, you know, just hobnob on the way back from Budapest to Arad. And we get there. He takes us to his house. You know, I kind of think we're just going to get a motel or whatever. He takes us to his house. And, and insists on that we stay there with them. And his wife has a meal for us. And just sweet ladies, sweet kids. We have a great be- You know, we're getting ready to go to bed. Uh, Dave's sitting over on, on the, they have one couch. And that's the only really piece of furniture. And I'm, I'm sitting on the floor, like on a pillow. And we're just like, hey, this is great. We're right here. No, 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 no. I mean, they weren't having it. They they make their kids, they their kids each have a bed. They make their kids get into one twin bed together. Like, fourteen. I mean, it's the smallest bed I've ever seen. They're, they're like cuddle right there together so that that frees up one of the kids' beds for one of us. And then he and his wife say, we're sleeping on the couch. And again, it's not like, one's on this couch, one's on this. No, they're like together on the couch, you know? And, and we were like having none of it. We're like, absolutely not. We are not doing that. We're here, you know? And, and you can't hardly move. Uh, I mean, Dave was on the couch. How are you going to move that guy off the guy? I mean, they couldn't force us, you know? But here's what they did. They just like stood there, you know, and just like, no, you know? And they're like going to cry, you know? And we're, we're, It's like 12 o'clock at night, and we're like, Okay, you know, and and, and, I mean, they weren't having it. They And they did that for like three nights, you know. In the early morning, she'd wake up before they both went to, to work, and she'd make this huge breakfast, fresh vegetables. I mean, hospitable. They did not know us. Keep in mind, I don't know how much they made, but I do know that the average Romanian who has a college education and works as a professional makes about $350 a month. That's hospitality to strangers. Now, is it just strangers? No. 1 Peter 4, 4-9, four, in the midst of talking about the church, talking about loving one another, verse 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift, spiritual gift, use it to serve one another. We've already looked at the spiritual gifts passages. This, this is part of our ministry to one another, is Hospitality. Bringing people into our lives, bringing people into our homes, okay. That's part of being hospitable. Now, the best part of this verse is the word "show." I think it's a bad translation. I wish they'd have done it different, because when I worked, looked up that "show hospitality," when I looked that up in the, my Greek dictionary, here is what it said. Okay, this is the first definition in the Greek definition that dictionary: to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective, to pursue. That's that word. So what it's telling us is, saints, you ought to move rapidly and decisively toward hospitality. That is the opposite of what happens, is it not? Let me me reenact what happens most of the time with hospitality. Okay? Husband and wife walking out of church. Do you want to have anybody over? Not really. uh, The house is not very clean. If you want to, I guess, but we just did three months ago. That's good, isn't it? You know, let's do it next week. I'm really tired. I think I need to, right? I mean, that's the way it goes most of the time. That is neither rapid nor decisive, okay? So, so in order to be rapid and decisive, in other words, this is something you ought to pursue. You got to chase it, all right? Think of, a, think, of a, think of a cheetah chasing the gazelle. he got his eye, he's playing this thing out. He, he's moving rapidly and decisively toward the goal. What do you gotta do? Man, you gotta think about this. You gotta plan this. You gotta strategize this. This can't. I mean, sometimes maybe it's a, an afterthought and just it pops up, but you gotta be ready for hospitality. You gotta have bought some paper plates and some paper silverware, you know, plastic silverware, have them in the in the cabinet ready for company to go over. Have some hot dogs in the fridge, ready to, to grill them up. You gotta you gotta be ready for this, okay? Now here's what happens, okay? We we say, well, I'm not picked up. The house is not picked up. I haven't picked up. Listen, I I have talked with person after person. It usually comes up when I'm talking about small groups, you know? Hey, have you considered being a small group leader? Hey, have you considered opening up your home for small groups? And here's what happens over and over and over again, okay? And we gotta deal with this today, okay, Lincoln? We got we got a month or so before small groups, so we just gotta nail this down today, okay? We gotta get over. Somehow, somehow, today it's got to end feeling like our house has to look like something out of Southern Living in order to have people over, okay? Let me tell you a little something about Southern Living, okay? Those houses are not real. Nobody lives there. You didn't know it. You thought, oh, these people, they just, they looks like that all the time, you know? I'll guarantee you they ain't got Colt in their house. I'll, I'll guarantee that. Let me, let me get a couple of our little guys from the nursery, put them in that Southern Living. You have to rename the re- magazine Redneck Living real quick, all right? Because that's a facade. And, and it's, it's a shame. Like, literally, my experience talking to people at Lincoln Avenue... My experience is there are people that are not ministered to. There are people that never get invited to a home. There are people that never reached, are never reached out to. There are people that never are connected with. Why? Because we watch HGTV and we think that's what a house looks like. It's not. It's not. And I'll I just give some kudos to my wife. She's awesome at this. This last week we had... Two times, we, we, had people, we had people at home about every night. But, but two times, we had folks, like, surprised. Like, hey, we'll be there in five minutes type of deal, you know? And both times, I, I, I was like, I looked at my wife, and I was like, you want me to try to, you know? Like the bathroom was one deal. It wasn't bad, but, man, my, what's happening with the, like, like, I brush my teeth, and all the toothbrush gets, like, dissolved up, you know? what And then I spit it, and it's, like, white and bubbly, and it just rinses out. Why would there be big blobs of blue toothpaste in the sink? I don't. I don't know that. You know. Anyway, I said. I said, "Hey, do you want you, you want me to wipe that down?" And here's my wife. She's like, "Nah, just I don't care." She's like, "They don't care." That's what he said. They don't care. They don't care. And though I don't know anybody that does really. You know. I mean, I don't like your dog bark biting me. That that I don't like that. That's not hospitable. But other than that. Like I, you know, I don't care about the rest. Why should we? What hospitality? Literally, guys, this passage kind of culminates in hospitality. Think about this. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. What are you gonna do if you do that? Remember when we unpacked that? That's family love. Treat people like they're your family. If they're your family, where, where do you want them? My my daughter, I haven't seen her for a year. She's coming home September 7th. Where do I want her? in my home. Do I have a bedroom for her? No, I do not. Some of you talk about spare bedroom. I don't know what that is. Show me one of them sometime, okay? A spare bedroom in the Dirk's house is Avery Move Over. That's what that is. That, I don't know what it is. I don't have a place for her. But I want her. Man, don't try to take, you know, one of you guys invites her, hey, come stay with us while you're home, you know, man, we'll be ticked off. What is brotherly affection? I want you, in my home. Keep going. Verse 10 outdo one another in show an honor. How do you honor people? How do you show that they're valuable? Man, you, you want to spend time with them. You want to connect with them. You want to share a meal with them. Verse 11 don't no be slothful and zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. How, how, do you, how do you serve the Lord? By serving others. I mean, do you, do you see how it all kind of comes into? This this act of sharing your life with others. Why why should we be hospitable? Man, i got I got to run here, okay? Ready? Leviticus 19, 33, 34, G, uh, God says, you know, you invite the stranger in because you were strangers in Egypt. Ephesians 2 carries that same theme. Ephesians 2, 12 says, you were once strangers to, to, the, to the covenants of God, and God has brought you in, okay? Romans 5, 5 says, the Holy Spirit poured out his love in your hearts. And, and, and hospitality is loving Jesus, okay? If you say today here, I love Jesus, the Bible says, okay, you're going to love others in a hospitable way. i got to show you that one. You can't miss this. This is crucial. Matthew 25, this is Judgment Day, okay? Every one of us is going to be in this party right here, Judgment Day. And here's what it says. Matthew 25, verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, believers, Come you, blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's good stuff. Verse 35. For I was hungry. You gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger. You welcomed me. Now, the scary version is down later. When he says to those on his left, I was hungry. You gave me no food. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not welcome me in. And then he says, as you did not do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did not do it to me. That makes you want to burn that southern living right now, doesn't it? Huh? And if that's the thing that's keeping you from opening your heart to people, buy a tent. Hospitality is a step of faith. Acts twenty thirty five. Jesus said this. Do you believe this? Do you believe Jesus? He said this. He said, "It is more blessed to give." Than to receive. Do we believe that? You see, if if we spend it all on us, we don't believe that. Because I guarantee you every one of us is going for blessed, right? There's nobody in here that says, I want to be not blessed. I'm working real hard to be not blessed. No. We all want blessing. Well, Jesus says it's it's more blessed, there's more joy for your soul, there's more satisfaction for your soul. In opening your heart up to people and giving. And hospitality says, I trust, I trust Jesus to take care of me. I'm willing to open my life up. I'm willing to open my time up. I'm willing to open my I'm willing to open up my my home even. Trusting Jesus, you to take care of me. Second Corinthians eight. Listen to this. Nine, sorry. Nine, eight. And God is able. To make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. He he says, I'll I'll make, I'll supply it all for the good works. He doesn't say, I'll supply it all for your comfort. He says, man, as long as you're willing to run in good works, I'll make sure I keep giving you what you need to do it. That's what he says. God is able. God is able. Hospitality is deeply connected to the mission of God. You remember when Jesus sent out the disciples to share the gospel with the world? What did he do? Did did he say, hey, take you a snack? You know, here's a little money, and here's your Super 8 card. Be sure to use it. We get extra points. He didn't say that, did he? Do you, you remember what he said? Don't take anything. Now, as you go, look, look for people that are people of peace. They'll welcome you in their home. I, that's how the gospel literally spread around the world. Was that right there? You know, think about, think, about, think about where people met Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, How about Matthew? Ex-tax collector gets saved. What's the first thing he does? Throws a party. Invites all his friends to his house to meet Jesus. Mary, Martha opened their home again and again and again and again and again to the disciples and Jesus and everybody who's with them. Their brother gets in, ends up getting raised from the dead, by the way. Pretty cool deal. Pretty cool story. How about Zacchaeus? He doesn't even invite Jesus, right? Jesus invites himself. Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house today. He is thrilled. Stands up in the middle of dinner, publicly repents. And how about those folks in Capernaum? Some of you had some bad small group experiences, you know? Somebody sat on your table. They'd been on that 10,000-calorie plan, busted it, your end table. How about those folks in Capernaum? Invited Jesus in. All of his friends came, packed the whole house out, no more room. All of a sudden, there's a scratching in the roof. Four dudes tear their roof off to get their friend to is that anything, has that ever happened in one of our small groups? Peter's mother-in-law. Here's what Steve Childers says. He says hospitality will be the evangelistic strategy of the 21st century in America. In America, he says no longer are the big crusades successful. Have you noticed that? Don't have a whole lot of those anymore. Big in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Not not much anymore. Cold call evangelism. He says, you know, that's. That's to some degree offensive to our society. Our society doesn't doesn't accept that as much. But here's what he said. Here's what he said. He said, sharing Christ in your backyard. This is a summary. These these are my words. Sharing Christ in your backyard over burgers and around your table with ice cream. Americans will respond to that. And they will. So what do we got to do? We got to shift our life, okay? As long as it's about us. As long as we look at our life that way, you know, yeah that's gonna it's not it, it's gonna keep us from having people in our homes because if they're there, we can't veg. Isn't that what everybody says they want to do? I, I just want to veg, you know. I i just I just want to lay on the couch. I want to have the remote all to myself. I I want to scroll through Facebook for the eighty seventh time, looking desperately for something new and interesting. We can't do it. If we have them, if we have them in our house, we got to listen. We got, we got to pay attention, we got to encourage, we got to serve, we got to pray, we got to counsel, we got to be patient. They're going to be annoying to some degree. We, we had a family in our house this, this week, and we're actually in the backyard, and their, their little guy, he was mauling our cat, like like mauling him, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's quite a deal. Some of you cat lovers, you'd have been greatly disturbed. It was a joy of my week, you know, I was just like, go at it, dude. I tried after he mowed the cat for a while, and the cat actually didn't seem to care. You know, he's like carrying it by his net, you know. And after a while, I was like, hey, Snickers, buddy, come here, here, here's Snickers. You know, I thought, maybe he'll choke him out, you know. It didn't happen. Uh, but some of you, that's going to be a big deal, you know, because people get in your house, and they're like, <gasps> you know, he's sitting in Grandpa's chair, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. But listen, it's not about me. Isn't it? Don't we believe it? Isn't it about King Jesus, the owner and sustainer and creator of the universe, the giver of everything, who, who gave you the oxygen and you just breathed in? It, it's not about me. It's not about my evening or my food or my clean house or my time or my downtime or my me time. And, and let me just ask you this. A life focused around your comforts, is that on a long-term scale, is that really satisfying? I was trying to think. As I look back over 20 years, good friends in our home, acquaintances, homeless people, people traveling through, I can't remember once when I said, boy, that was a waste of time. I can't, I, I can't even remember once that it, it was miserable, or I really... I can remember some times where I'm like, when are these folks going to leave? You know, we got to get the kids up I mean, that's true. That's true. But I I can't remember a time where my soul was not enriched. I just think Jesus is right on this deal. Let's trust him. Father in heaven, help us, God, to open our hearts to people. God, help us to open our, our resources to the needs of others. God, help us to open our homes. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.